enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of Star Brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. I'm so excited for Claire Barthol to be here on the podcast. Claire is just an you know, the epitome of the kind of person we want to have on the show because she is someone who worked herself down and down and down on her marathon time after years and years of working at it. She had that nice blend of working really hard, staying positive, and being able to be really consistent. And some of that is by choice, right? You do the right things to put yourself in the best position to stay healthy and be consistent. And part of it, hey, you know, anyone can step on a soccer ball and sprain their ankle, and, and that can happen at the worst possible time. And Claire uh, got lucky along the way, too. She didn't have any of those crazy, wacky injuries, and she was able to make the most of it. And I think a lot of us aspire to have that kind of linear progression in the marathon, and she was able to do it. Not only that, she's also a coach who works with a lot of runners who are trying to do that. And she's the host of the Run to the Top podcast, a fantastic weekly show. I was fortunate to be on it a few weeks ago. Claire is awesome. She does a great job. She's a fantastic host. If you haven't checked out that podcast yet, please do. Um, I was like, keep listening to mine as well. But hey, you can't get enough of good podcasts. And Claire has a really good one. Uh, she actually had Tiana Bartoletta on a couple weeks ago wonderful guests. In fact, I'm probably the worst guest that she's had on. She's had Alex Hutchinson, just wonderful, wonderful people. Go check them out. She does an absolutely fantastic job. So let's get into it with Claire. Hello, Claire, and welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Happy to be here. Oh, it's so nice to talk again. I was a guest on your show, Run to the Top, a couple weeks ago, and that was a blast. So I appreciate you coming on to the Rambling Runner podcast to talk uh, about what you've been up to as a runner, which is certainly a fascinating story and one that I think a lot of people can either resonate with or hope to emulate. Well, I appreciate it. We had a lot of awesome feedback uh, with you on the Run to the Top, and I hope to return the favor on the Rambling Runner. There you go. So you, you're doing so many interesting things, and we can touch on a lot of it. I think one of the things that we talked about offline that I thought immediately would be of great benefit to the people who listen to this show, and they'd be just so excited to hear, was just how you came to running a little bit later than maybe a lot of people that you interview on your show, but that has not stopped you from you know reaching times and the levels of success that I think a lot of people um, kind of in their in their hopes and dreams want to aspire to as well. So I guess let's just go back a little bit in terms of when you were younger and you were probably, you know, but I'd love to hear about whether or not you were an active person and how you were active that preceded your introduction into running. Yeah, well, I started running really um, from the influence of my dad. So my dad was uh, a three-mile every-other-day jogger, okay? So never raced, never did anything competitive. You know, he's a very um, intellectual person, but, it, you know, did three miles around the neighborhood for fitness. So I grew up watching him do that. I had no, <laughs> no, no desire to ever join him on any of his jogs. But what he did one year is he signed up for um, an outdoor adventure program called Outward Bound. And I thought that that was 
the coolest thing, hiking, camping, whitewater, kayaking, all that stuff. And I wanted to do it. And my dad said, well, you can do it. But first of all, you need to raise some money by mowing lawns and babysitting because I'm not just going to pay for it. And you have to train because there's a half marathon at the end. And I'm just like, whatever, I'll do it. I'll do it. And so that summer... I mowed lawns and I babysat and I ran around my neighborhood with uh, my Walkman with the Top Gun soundtrack (laughs) blasting in my ears and I started running and um, I went to Outward Bound at the end of the summer and did that half marathon and ended up beating everybody in my crew, even the boys. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a fast marathon. I definitely or a half marathon. I definitely remember walking. It was very hilly. It was in the mountains. And um, but I was just like, wow, maybe I'm good at this. But then after that, I was like, okay, maybe I'll join the track team in high school. So I joined track. I raced exactly one race and I was dead last. And that was it. I was done. I was like, nope, this is not for me. And I never really did it again. Um I was active in high school. I was on a competitive dance team, but no running, um, you know, no, no inkling that running would ever be a thing until much later. Wow, that's a crazy, that, that's a wild <laughs> swing, right? You're going to the Outward Bound, you're around all these active people, you come in first, you join the team, come in last. Like, I can see why that would be a little bit of like, what is going on here type moment. I, can you can you tell there's a little bit of ego in there? I mean, I just I was just like, oh, I'm last. This means that I'm terrible at it, and I don't. I mean, I don't like being bad at things. <laughs> so, um, so I just really just didn't have any motivation for that. But I did end up doing it later in life. Um, so when I um, got the you know all the buzz about my twentieth high school reunion. I decided, well, I want to get in shape. I want to look good. And so I started running for that. So that's really the start of everything that I have now was my vanity trying to get in shape for that reunion. Well, obviously, when you when you have that as the 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 ulterior goal, as opposed to when you're younger of like, all right, I want to win or be right near the top, right? Um, obviously, that, that changes things, right? Because all of a sudden now it's more of a progression, like, okay, like I know I'm not going to you're like so many goals, right? You're like, okay, I'm here. I want to go there. I know it's not going to be, you know, in a week, right? Or something like that. So I I can see how that this shift, even though it maybe wasn't like you weren't running for pure running reasons, it was more of like this ulterior, ulterior goal. But it also kind of leads into this belief of like, all right, like, I know that there are certain steps I need to take in order to get there, which it seems like it's that kind of process might be beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I started running again, it was not about the running, you know, it was it was about, you know, the ends justify the means, you know, like I just wanted the end goal. I actually hated running. I went out and I just slogged through it. I didn't like it at all. It was just this is what I have to do in order to reach, you know, some kind of who knows what goal. And, you know, eventually and honestly, I think it took about a year for me to be like, wait a second. I actually like this. And, you know, the reunion came and went and I decided to sign up for a half marathon. And then after the half marathon, I was like, well, maybe I'll try a full marathon and not just a full marathon. I want to go to Boston because a friend of mine 
was posting on Facebook that she was going to Boston that year. And I was like, what's this Boston thing all about? If she can do it, I can do it. <laughs> yeah, so many people who pick up running, um, you know, like post high school, post college, often get into it for the exact same reasons, right? Of like, all right, I want to be more active. And whether it's just like a feeling of like, I just want to be a more active person, or it's related to how I, how I look or fitting into clothes or things like that. Like it can be a starting point for so many folks, you not a starting point to people getting back into the sport. It can be really the motivation to get back into it. But that also is a hard place to be because all of a sudden, like you mentioned, like you didn't like it for a very long time when you came back into it. So I'd love to hear more about the process of sticking with it despite not having this initial burst of passion for the activity. Well, honestly, it's it's something that I tell the athletes that I coach all the time. It's there's nothing better than doing something hard well. So when you're actually doing the thing, it might not be that fun. And at the beginning, when you're doing it, you're, you know, running is hard. And so you're thinking about when can I stop? This hurts, all, all the negative things. But then when you actually get some results, it becomes kind of addictive. You're like, wow. I suffered and I sacrificed and look what I could do. So I really became attracted to the, um, you know, the input equals the output kind of thing about running. You know, you don't need a lot of equipment. You can do it anywhere and you just go ahead, work hard, and then you see results relatively quickly, or at least I did. And that became pretty darn addictive. So it it wasn't the actual part. It wasn't the actual running. It was the work hard, get results thing that I really, really like about it. <laughs> and when you say you were getting results uh, early on, say the first year and a half or so, what were some of the results that really kept the ball moving for you? Well, my first marathon that I did was here in Asheville, North Carolina, where I live. And it was probably not the best choice for a first marathon because it's mountainous. It's very hilly. So it was tough. And I got a very respectable 402. And then, um, but, you know, it was really hard. So I did not get my Boston qualifier. But then I got another chance. Um, and I went out to Big Cottonwood in Utah, you know, one of the revel races that are all downhill. And I went from 402 to uh, 338. So in just six months. So that was a pretty big jump. And then, you know, down. So I, then Boston was after that, where I got 326. And then there was a couple of 311s in there. Then there was like a 306, then a three on the nose, and then a 258 finally. So each marathon, well, with the exception of one DNF, <laughs> each marathon, I just got better and better and better. But I also worked harder and harder and harder. And, you know, we can talk about that as well. But it was a, it was definitely a good progression as far as like, it felt really good to like work hard and see that I was getting better and better. All right. So let's talk about the process of making of getting to the point of liking running because I feel like again, I'm going to stay in this lane for a little while because I think it's something that for people who are getting back into it or starting it for the first time, it can be a slog because they feel like, all right, I'm not either progressing or I feel like I'm getting a little injured or just building up the consistency over months and months and months, which can really lead 
to the kind of moments that you described that kind of kept you going can be hard for some people. And it reminds me of this a tweet that Roberta Groner actually put out this morning about how, like, now I think, I think she's 43 now. She's like, the big difference now is that, you know, I used to be able to wake up and then just go for a run 15 minutes after I woke up. Now I need, like, an hour of wake-up time. I need a coffee. I need to ease into it. And again, people who don't know, Roberta Groner is one of the best marathoners in the country so she's not just some person who's just, you know, farting around out there. She's really working hard. She has a lot of experience. And even for her, you know, aging and time can have an effect in certain ways. It hasn't affected her in terms of her speed, but just other ways. So what were some of the things that you have done and now advise some of your athletes to do to make sure that they're ready to run and that they can build up not only like the the pre-run stuff, but making sure that they're staying healthy enough to get the kind of consistency that can lead to a lifetime relationship with running? Well, I would say the the biggest thing at first, if you're just starting a running journey, is work on consistency over anything else. So go out for one or two miles, what, what, wherever your fitness is. Don't try to push it to five miles, you know, right away. Um, really slowly build up your mileage, really slowly build up your long run. So, you know, it's more about getting out there, whether it's every day or whether it's five days a week or three days a week, whatever that is for you. Um, Just don't change too many things at once. So, you know, there's frequency, there's distance, there's intensity. Those are the three variables that you can change. Just change one at a time. And at first, work on your frequency. Don't worry about running fast. Don't worry about, you know, how far you're going. Just get out there, even if it's five, 10 minutes, and make it a habit. And once you start getting the habit, um, your runs will actually be easier unless you push the pace. So uh, avoid trying to push push the pace. Get out there and jog. It should get to a point where it feels really comfortable. Like it should almost feel boring. (laughs) And if it feels boring, that's a great sign. I think what most people do is they get really excited and they're like, oh, I'm going running. I need to be like, my heart needs to be pumping and I need to be sweating. And this really needs to be a hard workout for it to be effective. And it's absolutely not true. I mean, those things have their place, of course, but mostly it should get to a point where it's easy. And at first, if you've never run before or, you know, if you're carrying extra weight or something like that, if running is exceptionally hard at first, just know that it will get easier once your muscles and lungs and joints, all that get used to it. Um, So have a little patience with that. Um, But I think just running easy is the absolute best thing if you do absolutely nothing else. Once you kind of master easy running, you can change distance and intensity, but it really is just getting to the point where running is comfortable. And then you can kind of change a few things. And once running is comfortable, then you can learn to enjoy going out for a run. You can enjoy spacing out or, you know, having the mental break or getting away from the kids or getting away from the stress at work or whatever whatever it is. Once you're kind of on autopilot, there's so many other benefits that you can actually experience during the run that don't happen when you're constantly thinking, this is hard, this is hard, this is hard. <laughs> 
Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss, who used it all the time. And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in the stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to like take a pause during the sentence, uh, but it's, it's legit and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that Getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. Hey, everybody, do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like, so you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options, and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good, but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today. It's $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179 today. That's up to $104 value. Yeah, and it's so easy to fall into that trap of not necessarily like jumping in and like, you know, doing a gut busting workout right from the start, but like getting into that gray zone of like that easy plus type feel where someone's not like heavy breathing, but they're definitely not being able to talk while they're running. And that's such an easy default mode for someone who's like, okay, I want to get running because I want to get fit. And it's hard to be like, I'm going to get fit by going nice and easy. And that's like, it has like that cognitive dissonance with it. 
Yeah, I mean, sure, you could get fit by just, you know, sprinting all the time. You know, you could have high intensity runs and, you know, a few times a week. That that is a way to get fit. Don't don't get me wrong, but if you want to have a lifelong love of running and you want to increase your distances or you love long distance running, you have to really get used to running slowly and and taking it easy. And that's patient. You know, you got to have patience and runners don't always have patience when it comes to that. No, that's for sure. And, you know, and part of it is that like people get so excited, they want to do better. It's all of a sudden they start enjoying it. They're having this great feeling about running and they start to set new goals. All right, I'm going to have a, I'm gonna, a couple, couple, couple of like five K's in the schedule, maybe a 10 K. It's easy at that point to really say, all right, I want to get like this time. I always want to be improving. And that is certainly like a great place to be. It's really exciting and it's so easy to kind of fall into that, into that realm. You laid out the progression from your marathons, right? From 402 all the way down to 258. And, you know, you basically rattled off like 10 to 12 marathons along the way. It comes across as as a as a linear type progression. Is that how it was in actuality for you? To be honest, it was fairly linear. I, um, you know, I had one do not, did not finish, but that was, I think, more of a fueling problem more than anything. But if you take that one off the table, yes, I got faster every single marathon. It was absolutely linear. But my training ended up being pretty linear as well. Like I ramped up my mileage. I ramped up my, um, my hard work, my speed days. I um, did everything in the gym that I was supposed to do. So I really focused on strength work. Um, And I think one of the other things that really helped me progress is the running community in the town I live. So I became involved with the track, you know, club that goes out every Tuesdays. And so, you know, did track on Tuesdays and a tempo run at the pub on Thursdays. And so Running with others, I don't think is talked about enough how important it is. It can get you into into trouble if you're always running too fast just to keep up with the group, but it can be an incredible sense of motivation and support because, you know, unless your spouse runs, they're pretty sick and tired of hearing every little detail about running. And if you're obsessed with running and you find your tribe to hang out with, I think that is one of the most important things that you can do to um, kind of stoke your love for running and and be around people who are doing things that you want to do. So if you surround yourself with good runners, you are probably going to become a better runner. And I definitely did that. And um, so I would recommend that. But I don't know if my story is something that, you know, everybody um, would be able to do. I, I think there's some luck involved. I mean, I surely did everything I could, but I never had an injury. And, you know, I didn't have any setbacks. But it doesn't mean that they weren't coming if I kept on going. You know, I'm sure that if I kept on you know, training at that high level, something would have gone wrong. So I think there was a fair bit of luck, but I definitely tried to hedge my bets by doing all the right things too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's easy for someone to do all the right things and then, you know, step on a soccer ball in their backyard and all of a sudden, you know, be out for six months or something. So uh, there's definitely can be some mitigating factors and other things along the way, but there are certainly some 
obviously some best practices that you were able to abide by that helped you along the way to achieve the kind of running times that a lot of people would love to get to. So as you progress from, all right, we're getting into running. I want to look better. I want to feel better. And then it obviously morphed into something that you were passionate about. Here you are. You have an extremely popular podcast. You're a running coach. You're a sub three-hour marathoner. What were some of the things that you did to learn more about the sport and about training? Because you obviously became very knowledgeable in both of those areas. Well, I mean, I think it's just something that happened um, because I just fell in love. So I just wanted, you know, once I was like seeing a little bit of success, I was just like, I need to learn absolutely everything I can to be better at this. I, I fell down the rabbit hole. I researched. I read. I was just. I was just. I don't know. It was like an overwhelming passion, and it obviously still is. And I just read everything I possibly could about running and how to how to become the best marathoner I could be. And so I, you know, became a student of the marathon. And it was all just because I was, you know, fascinated by it and just wanted to do anything possible. I wanted to teach myself, be, be more knowledgeable. And then eventually I hired a coach. I hired the team at Runners Connect, um, which I do the podcast for. And, you know, learned everything that I could from them. So I was being coached on how to run the best workouts and, you know, what my schedule should be like. And eventually, um, you know, I stuck with them for long enough that they eventually hired me and taught me how to coach. Um, and, you know, the rest kind of is history after that. But I really think what it was is just I had this overwhelming curiosity and love of the sport that, you know, the more I read, the more I learned, the more I studied, the bet, you know, the more I wanted to learn. And, and now that I coach, um, you know, I'm constantly learning from my athletes. I'm constantly learning, um, things that they do that, you know, we could do better and workouts that produce a certain result. So I feel like, you know, they say teaching is learning twice. I definitely feel like that's the case. Um, you know, I've worked with hundreds of athletes at this point. And um, the beautiful thing is they do the hard work and I still get to learn and become a better uh, runner and coach from through through their training. So my passion has definitely shifted from it all being focused on myself to being focused on the people that I support. And, and that has been part of the journey that I never would have predicted. So how did your training change from running 402 in Asheville and then running 338 um, out in Utah? And then, you know, as you progressed kind of marathon after marathon and year after year, how did your your training changed during that time and you know not just in terms of like you know days per week but also like total mileage and the kinds of workouts you were doing okay so my first marathon i was probably running um every other day and probably somewhere 30 to 35 miles a week um i i can't remember how long i got my long run up to but it was probably 18 or 20 probably not higher than 20 and um and then I just basically started adding mileage. And um, I was able to handle increasing the mileage quite a bit. So my progression probably is, was faster as far as mileage goes than what I typically recommend for people. But I was able to handle it. So, you know, I, I went from 30, 35 up into the 40s. 
Um, I had a, a real sweet spot in the 50s and 60 mile per week for a while. And then, you know, and I was only doing two marathons a year. So it wasn't like I was doing a marathon every month. And I didn't really race other distances very often, occasionally. Um, and I, I would say that is definitely something that a lot of recreational runners could learn from. Pick a distance and specialize. You know, if you're racing every week, you're not specializing in one thing. And um, over racing can be detrimental if you're really trying to go after a certain goal. So I didn't race all that much. Um, but as far as mileage goes, um, I for the last probably four or five marathons, I really felt good at 70 to 80 miles a week. I got up, I think my highest week ended up being 91 miles. And that, to be honest, ended up being a bit too high. I didn't, I didn't hurt myself, but I just felt like it was taking over my life too much and I didn't feel like I was gaining from it. So that marathon was not my fastest. And for the next one or two marathons after that, I decided to dial it back. So, you know, the earlier marathons I was doing, like I said, track on Tuesday, tempo runs on Thursday, long run on the weekends. Um... And then, you know, after I got up super high mileage, at least for me, I I really felt like there was something in me, whether it was mental or physical, I'm not sure, probably a combination of both. I really felt like I was starting to overdo it. It was starting to feel like a job. It was starting to feel like it was interfering with my life. And I was starting to just really be over it, you know? And so I dropped back. I dropped back to 70 miles a week, somewhere in there. And I dropped that one of the workouts a week. So for the, for the marathon where I broke three hours, I only did one speed workout a week. And, you know, I did my long run and sometimes that would have speed in it. And I would do strides once a week, but it was not, you know, track and tempo every week. I dropped to the tempo. And honestly, for me, that was super beneficial, like mentally and physically. Like I knew that two workouts a week just were tearing me down more than they were building me up. So for me, that worked. And I don't know if it has anything to do with age or not. I don't know if I would, I'm, you know, assume that I could handle that if I was 30 years old instead of in my 40s. But, um, but for me, it was taking a step back that actually got the breakthrough that I was hoping for. Yeah, this is a great topic because it's something that a lot of people think about even at, at any level of success, right? Is that fine line between, especially from your marathon training, of that compound effect with the fatigue that you're trying to get in marathon training. Like you're supposed to be fairly tired getting into like that last, you know, four to six weeks, right? That's kind of the whole point of the training, but making sure you're not crossing certain lines where all of a sudden – you know, you're instead of it being beneficial, now it's becoming either harmful or you're just not getting as much out of it as you would like. Looking back to that time, and even with your athletes now that you coach, how would you advise people about finding that sweet spot where it's so easy to kind of uh, not quite get there or to go too far? Right, right. That is such a great question. And, you know, the only true way to know if you've gone too far is if you get hurt, right? So, you know, that's a clear sign. Hey, I did something, I overdid it. 
And so what we're looking for is some earlier signs that you know that you're pushing your limits, but you don't want to go so far that you actually get hurt. And and it's going to depend, of course, for everyone. But I would say some warning signs are fatigue that lasts longer than you're just tired after your workout or you're a little bit sore the next day. It's it, it's an overwhelming sense of fatigue in everything you do. That's that's a huge warning sign. Um it could be it could show up with problems in your sleep, you know? Um I I suffer from insomnia a lot, but when I'm in heavy marathon training, I'm out like a light, you know, <laughs> hard exercise is great for sleeping problems. But then when you start going back to sleep problems, that can be a sign. Um, Being cranky all the time, being, you know, unbearably difficult to be around. I definitely probably was because, you know, everything in my life revolved around running. I had to get that 20 miler in. It didn't matter if I skipped pancakes with my kids. You know, it didn't matter. I was doing this no matter what. And you have to have a little bit of that attitude in order to succeed at things. But when you're doing it and it's just you're not having fun and you're just really, you know, mentally you're stressed about running, that can be a sign. You know, it's it's when you – running is not always fun. And even when you love running, there's going to be runs that are not fun. So I'm not saying when you stop having fun, that's a warning sign. But when you're – if you're looking at a trend and you're really just like, I – am not liking this, you know, um, that's a sign. So there, there are some subtle things. It's not as, as cut and dry as, oh, I'm injured. I overdid it. But there's like an accumulation of small things that you can start to say, "Mm, maybe I need to dial things back. All right. So as a parent, obviously you have certain constraints in terms of not only time, from a workout perspective, but also recovery time, right? And I'm right there with you. Like there are certain times where you're like, all right, I just did this hard workout. Like I might've done it before the kids were awake or whatever, but like, I need to, I need to relax here to kind of, you know, uh, absorb the training for me. It's more just, I just need to relax because I am so wiped out. So what's it like for you managing that part of like not only the run and the time we're allocating for that and the the workouts and the the lifting but also the okay i can't necessarily go from working hard on the run to working hard with my kids and it being nonstop all the time no matter the activity yeah well now my kids are a little bit older i have a 10 year old and an almost 12 year old now so they are a little more independent, but when they were younger and you have to be really more hands-on, yeah, that's that's a that makes it tougher, of course. So um having a supportive partner is huge. So I would say you've got to give as much as you take. So if you're going on a two or three hour long run on Saturday morning, you know, think about what your partner has to do in order for that to happen and try to be generous in other ways to your partner. Um, hopefully you have somebody who supports you, who understands that this is a big goal and a big dream. But, um, you know, so hopefully you're married to or, or living with someone who supports your big dreams. Um, I think that is key. But if you don't have that, 
then, you know, hopefully there's someone else in your community that can help. You know, do you have to hire a babysitter? Like if you have to do all of those things, sure, running is going to be much, much harder. So you have to find, you know, ways to sneak in your running other ways. But as far as recovery um, you know, that's something that, you know, we think we're being really selfish if we're recovering and we're not, you know, super active. But think about all the parents who aren't active and spend their Saturdays on the couch, you know, watching TV or football or whatever it is. You know, you're setting an example for your kids that what you're doing is important, that you are going after hard goals. You are spending time away from them because you are working hard for something that is important to you. And so, yeah, mommy's tired and yeah, mommy needs to sit on the couch and stretch and and do some things instead of like running to the park with them. Like sometimes there's going to be times where you have to say no to your kids, but I think that's a good thing. I think they watch you. They watch that you are getting up you know, before them and you're coming back from their run when they're, you know, coming downstairs in their PJs and they're like, mommy, what'd you do today? It's like, oh, I worked really hard and I ran, you know, X miles. And they're just like, huh. And they might not act like it at the, in the moment, but that is a super important lesson that you're teaching your children. You're teaching them that, that self-care is important. You're teaching them that just because you're a parent doesn't mean that you can't do hard things. You know, you're teaching them that fitness is important, health is important, and that you have a life, that you are more than just their parent. And I think that is that is worth it to say, yeah, I can't, you know, <laughs> I'm tired. I can't go biking with you. Well, you'll eventually be able to go biking. And when they're older, they can bike along as you run or, you know, you can put them in the stroller when there's yet when they're young, you know, there's ways to include your kids in your fitness. But I think setting the example of, of being a runner for kids is wildly important. I mean, I just look at my dad, you know, he ran three miles every other day and, and that had a huge impact on my life. So I think we can be too hard on ourselves as parents. And, you know, we try to be everything to our kids. And sometimes, you know, setting the example is is even more important. Yeah, that's really well said. And I, as you were talking, I was harking back to the, the beginning of our conversation where you mentioned your dad. And even at that point, it wasn't like you saw him. It was like instantaneous light bulb over the head moment of like, yes, running. Right. It was like, it kind of, it came to you gradually, but you had kind of that, that foundation element. I think the other part with like the, the, the guilt that can come with running slash recovering is the guilt with like, with your partner, right. Of like, all right, like the kids got it. They're, you know, they're in the backyard playing fine. I'm just going to lay, so I'm going to sit here, my feet up. Cause I need to, right? Like this workout's not gonna is not gonna do what it's supposed to do if I'm just gonna stand around and get like two thousand steps per hour as soon as I come home, right? But you at that moment where like you look like across the house and your partner is doing stuff and you're like, how do I not feel guilty right now? Cause now I'm just sitting here and it's that moment of like I think it's easier if maybe your partner is also uh pursuing some sort of athletic endeavor or have their own goals and they can relate. But I, I have been in that moment and my wife, you know, runs and she's, she's, a, she's, you know, does her thing. But I definitely had that, like that partner guilt of like, and I'm just sitting here. She's doing, she's cleaning something <laughs> and I'm just sitting here. 
I got to get up. If for no other reason, then I don't want to catch hell later. But ultimately, it's, it's usually just internal pressure. Yeah. Well, I mean, you definitely, if, you're, if your spouse is generous enough to give you the time to train for a marathon, yeah, you should feel guilty. You, you've got some, <laughs> you got some payback, you know, and, and whether it's after the race is done or whatever, you need to support your partner too. So, I mean, that's just, that's just life and marriage, you know, you have to be like, okay, I understand the sacrifice that you are doing for me to support my running. How can I help you? I might be too tired to move right now, but <laughs> when I can move my legs, how can I support you? You know, yeah, it's a lot easier if they have big goals and dreams, if they are working to do something hard, but if they are not, you got to figure out what you can do to, you know, support your partner. And maybe that is doing the dishes and maybe that is, you know, making dinner when it's not your turn or or whatever it is. But yeah, yeah, you have to realize that marathon training is a sacrifice for everybody in your house. And you, you, you know, guilt is an emotion that kind of spurs us to change, hopefully. And so, you know, you've got to figure out a way to support your partner. I love that because you're, you definitely like took that with the whole idea of like, yes, everything you said is true, but don't let it stop you from doing it. Right. Figure out a way, communicate and let and, and, and get it done. Uh, oftentimes when we have guilt or some of those other emotions attached to an activity, it can be so easy to then postpone or not do that activity instead of saying like, no, I'm going to figure it out even though there is, you know, these, these things that we have to get through where I feel this, this certain way about it. And those are usually the times where it's just so easy to procrastinate or, oh, I'll just do that tomorrow type feel. Sure. But, you know, this could be in anything in life, you know, when there's obstacles in our way, it makes it harder to do the thing, whatever your thing is. So, you know, if you want to succeed at whatever it is, your profession or or running or whatever you're trying to do, what, you know, the easiest way to create a habit is to remove the obstacles in your way. And if you can't do that, then yeah, you're making something really hard running or marathon training harder. So it takes, it, it's worth it to sit down with your spouse and say, I really want to do this hard thing and I need your help. And that's a vulnerable thing to say. It's a vulnerable thing to feel. But, you know, running is hard for many, many reasons. And it's not just putting one foot in front of the other. It's communicating. It's planning. You know, um, just like doing something amazing in your job. Do you just work at your job when you feel like it? No, it's you do things you don't want to do. And you do that because you are looking for the results. So planning is <laughs> planning is something that is we we hate to plan. We want to feel free to do what we want in life. Well, planning can get you there. And that could be in your relationship. That could be in your job. That could be through running. But Communication, you know, is is definitely key <laughs> to getting some help if you've got if you've got a family and and you have other considerations, you know, every time you go running. I appreciate you indulging me on this topic because this is something <laughs> that I know affects a lot of people, but I really haven't discussed this part 
with a guest before. This is good. This is good. We need to, this is not talked about enough because I think people feel guilty. Like you said, they feel selfish because they are doing something for themselves, which is naturally selfish. But it, but like it is so important to your self-esteem. Like, let's say you didn't go out and run. You just said, you know what? I'm a mom. I'm a dad. It's too hard to do hard things. I'm just going to wait till the kids are, you know, in high school or wait till the kids are out of the house before I do something hard. I mean, that's no way to live your life, right? And whether we're talking about running or anything else, but I think showing everybody in life that you want to live, you want to achieve, you want to do hard things. Like, Running, if you think about it, running is really silly. There's no reason we should be out there running and running 26.2 miles. That's absolutely ridiculous. But the reason we do that is because we become better people through this journey. You know, we try to do something hard and we work every day to do it. And then once we cross that finish line, we have done the thing. You know, we have set our minds to do something hard. And we've done it. And whether, and it's very few people do it alone. So involving the people around you and say, hey, family, I'm going to do something hard. And that means that you're going to actually have to sacrifice too. Could, could you be on board with me? You know, do you want to see mommy do a hard thing? Because I really want to show you and show myself that I can do something. You know, I might be in my forties and I might, you know, have a job that I hate, but running is something that I can control. And running is something, getting better at running is something that I think I can actually do. Can you support me? And, and, you know, if they say no, then, you know, (laughs) you've got some other problems than just (laughs) running, I think. (laughs) But yeah, it's hard. Marriage is hard. Kids are hard. Running is hard. You can figure it out though. I promise you. (laughs) So let's talk about goals. Uh, I'd love to hear about your goal setting process, um, if it's changed at all, and what do you feel like works best for you? And when I say goals, you know, whether it's, you know, any and all of short-term goals, long-term goals, process goals, how you uh, currently like to go about that process. Um, yeah, I actually just talked about process goals um, versus, you know, time goals or big end goals. And I think that um, – you know, start at the end. (laughs) So if you do have a big goal, let's say, you know, it's a marathon or half marathon or 5k, whatever it is, put that on the calendar. So that is your big goal. And then work backwards to see, okay, well, I want to do, you know, run this marathon in six months. What do I need to do to get there and go all the way back to what you need to do every day? So I liken marathon training to bricks building a house. So the big mansion that you dream about, that's that's your marathon. That's your big goal. But you can't just wish yourself into building that, that mansion. You need to lay bricks every day. And if you don't know what your bricks are, that's where you need to really begin. So what are the bricks that are that I need to do every day to get me to into that big house? So for for a marathon, it could be, okay, one brick is getting my easy run or speed work on Tuesdays or making sure I'm sleeping or making sure I'm eating right, making sure I'm fueling before a run. Super important, especially for marathoners. You got to train your stomach. 
Um, make sure you're working on your mental, uh, on the mental side. You know, what is going to get you through the hard runs? Because it's not going to be luck. It's going to be talking to yourself in such a way that you can still do the hard thing when things get hard and you don't want to do the thing anymore. So I really am a big fan of process goals. I'm a big fan of breaking down the elephant into little bites because that's the way you get it done. Um, Just like when you're at the starting line of a marathon, if you get focused on the 26.2 miles you're just going to crumble because that is a distance that we can't see that far. That That is a really overwhelming thing to think about. But if you just go into the marathon thinking, this mile, okay, mile one, I'm going to do this. And, my, and then once you finish mile one, you're like, okay, mile two, I'm going to do this. You know, if you break it down into bite-sized chunks, then nothing is overwhelming. No, absolutely. And that makes a lot of sense. And I know that you've, you know, worked towards your goals um, over this period of time uh, as a runner. You've had a ton of success. And here you are, you're working and running now uh, in, in two different capacities, which is really inspiring. I know there's a lot of people who listen to this, you know, can see themselves doing that sort of work in their future, either in running or in another um, area of their life that they're passionate about, uh, besides maybe their, their typical nine to five job. So with all the success that you've had in this field, what are one or two hurdles that you've overcome and maybe you didn't, you didn't see coming and you got past them and they didn't, they didn't stop you from where you are today? I think what I have struggled with, and, and to be honest, I still struggle with this, is that um, sometimes when you are a creative person, so, you know, I make a podcast, I blog, I even, even just Instagram posts or whatever, you put yourself out there and you don't always get immediate feedback. So you don't know if what you're doing is resonating. You don't know if it's reaching someone, you know, you don't know because not everybody who reads your stuff is going to be like, oh my God, that was the greatest thing ever. You know, some people will, but not, not as many as you hope. And so, you know, I blogged my running journey, you know, since the beginning and it was a very, very tiny audience. And the reason I did it, it was just because I just wanted to get it out. (laughs) You know, I didn't necessarily think it would go anywhere, but I just wanted to just you know, share my journey with anybody who would listen. And it was a rough go at first because after my initial enthusiasm, I didn't really understand the steps that I needed to take to grow a blog or grow a business or do all those things. And I just felt like I was putting my life out there without any return. And so when you do something and don't get feedback, you obviously, you feel like you're working in a void and that's super challenging. So I would say that is the biggest hurdle. I've gotten much better at it. Um, But I still struggle with like, okay, I'm going to write an article about, I don't know, um, strength training. Okay. So I'll write an article about strength training and, you know, does it reach people? I don't know. So that is something that is a challenge when you're doing anything creative is that you don't always know if you're reaching people. And, and honestly, I had a conversation with, um, Alex Hutchinson about this and he said, you know what? You need to promote yourself more than you think you should, (laughs) because you know what? 90% of the people 
won't really care. There'll be a few people who don't like what you're doing, but the other people will really, really love you. And those are your people. And I have learned, or at least I'm trying to learn, I'm still working on this, but that is something that I'm really trying to focus on is, yeah, there's going to be people that don't care about me or my running or my coaching or whatever I'm doing. And then there's people that will absolutely be turned off because I'm just not for them. But there are a small segment of people that are absolutely going to resonate, that are going to be profoundly changed by my work. Um, and and that is what is rewarding. So it's not something that you actually get to see every day, but they are out there. And then when they when somebody does say something or someone does hire me for coaching or someone, you know, makes uh, a kind comment, then it's then you're like, OK, yeah, it is worth it. What I'm doing <laughs> is worth it. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Claire, how can people learn more about you, the Run to the Top podcast, where you coach over at Runners Connect? Where can they learn more about all of these things that you're currently up to? Okay. Well, um, the first place to go is theplantedrunner.com. And I do have a freebie for your audience. So I've created a ultimate fueling guide for runners. Um, and you can grab that at theplantedrunner.com slash join, J-O-I-N. Um, and yes, at Runners Connect, you can check us out there. Um, that is everything from group coaching to personal coaching to just um, tons of freebies, tons of advice. If you just want to do what I did and fall down the rabbit hole, so much good information about running at Runners Connect. And of course, uh, you can check out our podcast when wherever you get podcasts at The Run to the Top. And we interview people all the way from athletes to researchers to doctors, scientists, anybody who's remotely related to running. And our goal with that podcast is to make you a better runner each week. So really um, focused on actionable lessons that, that you can learn um, to help you get better on the run. Yeah, you guys do a great job of having a wide array of kinds of guests. I think that, that's certainly, we all have our different lanes in the podcast world. I think you guys do a great job of, of really finding people from a variety of different places that have actionable advice, either do what I did or here's my expertise to help you. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is, that is definitely my goal when I, you know, became host is to, you know, I, I want the podcast that I want to listen to. So, <laughs> so it's how do I get better as a runner? I'm, I'm inspired by elites and I, I do interview elites and love that. And I can like geek out and fan, but you know, fangirl to the elites. So we'll always do that kind of thing. But, you know, most people want to know, is running going to hurt my knees? <laughs> so I go and find the best knee expert, you know, or is, is how do I, over, you know, how do I run um, straighter, healthier, prevent injuries, you know, all of that stuff. So I find people who are actually doing the work who um, I can ask all the questions that I would love to have answers to. And you do such a great job. Claire, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, I really appreciate it, Matt. This has been so much fun. Claire, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so enjoyable. Go check her out again at the Run to the Top podcast. She does an absolutely fantastic job. 
over there. Also, we didn't really touch on this. She is a, pan, a plant-based eater, and she does a really interesting job of kind of curating her travails through through the diet and nutrition over on Instagram. Go check her out. You got all the links in the show notes as well. Um, also, she's the only Claire Bartholic on there, so you'll be able to find her very, very easily. So uh, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so already, go check out the Road to the Trials podcast. We got two this week, Cara D'Amato and Dana Giordano, both out this week. I haven't had them on in a while. So definitely want to go check them out. Um, they're always so much fun to talk to. Two very different people, but both so much fun to talk to. So this was a, a great week for me in terms of the people I was able to talk to on the podcast in the basically the best job ever, talking to these folks. Gosh, I'm so, thank you so much for listening because I'm able to do this as a full-time job, and it really is enjoyable. It is so much fun. So thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Have a great day, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.